This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Rachel Maddow Show, The Young Turks, The Majority Report, The Progressive, Citizen Radio, Mumia Abu-Jamal, The Tom Hartman Program, The David Pakman Show, and for the first time, The Matthew Filipovic Show, with a bonus clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from Liberal Viewer. This is sodium thiopental. Uh, In small doses, this drug is sometimes called truth serum. In large doses, it is the way that we prefer to kill prisoners in America. Sodium thiopental, one of three drugs used in combination for lethal injection. Sodium thiopental used to be made in this country by a company in Illinois, but after that company moved its manufacturing operations to Italy, it stopped making the drug. It wasn't worth the trouble anymore because Italians are molto, molto against the death penalty. So about a year ago, the company just stopped making the drug. With no more sodium thiopental being made in the United States or by the American company that outsourced its manufacturing overseas, death penalty states had to look for new ways to get the drug or they had to come up with new ways to kill their prisoners. The state of Georgia first tried to find an alternate source for getting the drug. Along with Arizona, Arkansas, California, and Tennessee, Georgia scored some from a fly-by-night distributor operating out of the back of a driving school in West London in the UK. Georgia killed two people using the drug they got out of the driving school, that sodium thiopental. They brought it from a drug distributor operating in a fly-by-night shack, and they used it to kill two people. Then in March, the Drug Enforcement Agency seized Georgia's supply of sodium thiopental, arguing that the drug was imported illegally. They took away every single vial of it that the state had. So then how does Georgia keep killing its prisoners? Georgia decided to switch drugs. The state decided they would start using a drug that has the trade name Nembutal instead to kill its prisoners. Nembutal is a sedative commonly used to euthanize animals. It is not used as a human anesthetic. The Danish company that makes Nembutal says it should not be used in executions. The first time Georgia nevertheless used Nembutal to kill a prisoner, reporters who witnessed the execution said the man being killed, quote, jerked his head several times throughout the procedure and muttered after the drug was injected into his veins and he was supposed to be asleep. Controversy over the exact means by which we kill these prisoners led to an unprecedented decision this summer. In July, when the state of Georgia used Nembutal to execute a man named Andrew Grant DeYoung, the state videotaped killing him. It was the country's first recorded execution in almost two decades, the first ever videotaped lethal injection. And it happened because lawyers for another prisoner on death row in Georgia wanted evidence. They wanted evidence for a lawsuit challenging their client's death sentence on the grounds that the states knew we use the drug they use on animals, lethal injection protocol, is brutal and therefore unconstitutional. Because of that lawsuit, somewhere in a sealed locker in Georgia is a video of the state killing a man. But head of the man who is bringing that lawsuit, the state of Georgia, is now set to execute another man, a man named Troy Davis. Twenty years ago, Troy Davis was convicted and sentenced to death for the murder of a Savannah police officer after nine witnesses identified him as the shooter. Since then, seven of those nine witnesses have recanted their testimony, saying they were coerced by the police. The case also suffered from a lack of physical evidence. The murder weapon, for example, has never been found. Because of all of that, three of the jurors who convicted Troy Davis now say they would change their vote. Today, Georgia's Board of Pardons and Parole refused to block the Troy Davis execution. He's scheduled to be killed tomorrow night at 7 p.m. The board said it considered, quote, the totality of the information presented before deciding to deny clemency. That board is the only body in the state of Georgia that has the power to commute this death sentence. 
A last-minute appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court would be Troy Davis's only hope, but that is considered to be an unlikely prospect. This afternoon, the justices of the Supreme Court did stop another execution, the execution of a man named Cleve Foster, who was scheduled to die tonight in Texas for the rape and murder of a woman 10 years ago. Mr. Foster maintains that he is innocent. His lawyers say he did not receive adequate legal help during his trial. This is the third time the Supreme Court has stepped in to stop Cleve Foster's execution. The court's brief order today said the reprieve would remain in effect pending the outcome of Mr. Foster's request for a review of his latest appeal. On Thursday, the Supreme Court also stepped in to stop the execution of another prisoner in Texas, a man named Dwayne Buck. Dwayne Buck's conviction was marred by a psychologist testifying that the fact that Dwayne Buck is African-American could contribute to his, quote, future dangerousness. His blackness equals his dangerousness, the jury was told. The justices granted a 30-day reprieve to Dwayne Buck until they decide whether to take the case. Dwayne Buck, or Cleve Foster, would have been the 11th Texas prisoner executed this year. Governor Rick Perry of Texas has sent 235 prisoners to their deaths in Texas during his time as governor. It's more than any governor in the modern history of the country. Governor Perry, of course, is very proud of that record. Conventional political wisdom says that killing prisoners, even ones whose guilt is being vigorously challenged, killing prisoners is a thumbs up for the voters that Republicans count on to give them something like the Republican nomination for president. But with all that's going on right now in death penalty politics and in death penalty jurisprudence, are there any limits to that? Your state has executed 234 death row inmates more than any other governor in modern times. Have you... Have you struggled to sleep at night um, uh, with the idea that any one of those might have been uh, innocent? In the state of Texas, if you come into our state and you kill one of our children, you kill a police officer, you're involved with another crime and you kill one of our citizens, you will face the ultimate justice in the state of Texas, and that is you will be executed. What do you make of... uh What do you make of that dynamic just happened here? The mention of the execution of 234 people drew applause. I think Americans understand justice. Since then, Texas has executed another person. They're now up to 235 on Governor Perry's watch. In Texas, the cases of Dwayne Buck and Cleve Foster are likely to return to Governor Perry's desk if the Supreme Court ultimately turns away their appeals. In Georgia, Troy Davis will not even get the luxury of a last-minute appeal to that state's governor. Vigils are happening tonight in Georgia on the steps of the state capitol and at the state prison in Georgia where they kill prisoners. Tomorrow there will be a vigil there. Among those asking for the Troy Davis execution to be stopped are Pope Benedict, Georgia native son, former President Jimmy Carter, and William Sessions, a former director of the FBI. Nevertheless, Troy Davis due to be executed at 7 p.m. tomorrow. Sister, where's your compassion? Where's your compassion? Let me ask you one question. Tell me why is Troy Davis behind bars? Tell me why, 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 why is Troy still behind bars? I thought by now we'd have learned just who the real killers are. 
parole board in Georgia has not granted clemency to Troy Davis, which I honestly cannot believe. What country are we living in? Uh, of course, if you've been following the Troy Davis story, he was convicted of killing a police officer back in 1991. And, uh, or he was tried in 1991, I should say. And even though people who were uh, witnesses uh, testifying against him, they've come out and said, uh, actually, we take it back, we're not 100% sure. Even though three members of the jury uh, who found him guilty, even though they have come forward and said, no, we would like you guys to grant clemency because we're not sure and we don't think that this guy should be killed. Uh, even though they've come forward and said that, it doesn't matter. The parole board in Georgia has denied him clemency and he is scheduled to be executed tomorrow, uh, Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Now, uh, you might dismiss all that. I don't know why you would. Uh, and Amnesty International called it unconscionable. You might dismiss that. Okay, fine. How about Jimmy Carter, president, a former president of the United States? Oh, it's Jimmy Carter. He doesn't count. He actually cares about everybody. What a terrible mistake that is. How about if you're religious, Pope Benedict? Does he not count? Oh, no, he's just a pope. Uh, for other things, like when you're trying to deny people birth control, he counts a lot, right? But when it uh, comes to the death penalty, he doesn't count at all. Okay, you dismiss him. How about former conservatives or current conservatives like uh, former Congressman Representative Bob Barr? How about an ex-Justice Department official Larry Thompson? How about the former FBI Director William Sessions, who have all said, do not execute this guy. There are grave concerns about this case, right? Now, here's the thing. Nobody's saying, or at least I'm not saying, let the guy go, right? Now, if you want to do a process where, by which you decide whether he's actually innocent, great, fantastic, right? But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about at this point, just don't kill him tomorrow. Okay, you know what? What's the worst case scenario? He remains in jail for the rest of his life? Like, because some people obviously think he's guilty, right? Yeah, like the family of the victim, okay? okay. The police officer that was killed, the family's been interviewed by the, the press, and of course they're saying, no, 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 his uh, execution has been rescheduled four different times, enough is enough, we want to start our lives over again, get rid of this guy, execute. However, there's new DNA evidence suggesting that he is not the man who uh, shot the police officer. There is actual proof that says that this might not be the right guy. Now, wh think about this, right? Okay, so you execute the wrong guy, apparently you might not care about that, I if that's the case. Wh don't you want to be 100% sure? All right, but how about the fact that you won't get justice for the guy who actually killed your dad? How about that? Yeah, exactly. You know, there are several witnesses saying, no, we, uh, we saw the guy who actually killed him, it's not Troy Davis, right? You tell me you're 100% certain the, the, parole, uh, the pardons board here is a hundred percent certain, beyond a, any reasonable doubt, that this guy was definitely, despite this mountain of evidence, that should at the very least make you reconsider enough to say, hey, maybe we should just let him stay in prison for life, for the moment being, you know, it, so we don't execute him tomorrow and make a terrible mistake we cannot recover from. But nope, they're, they're tough guys, they're tough. He, they say, oh, well, you know, we understand the emotions of a death penalty. This isn't about emotions. This isn't about, hey, oh my God, I feel bad for the guy who shot the cop. Okay, the guy who actually did the killings is a terrible guy. And he was pistol whipping a homeless guy and then he shot a cop and killed him, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't know it's this guy. If you were 100% certain you had the right guy, you know me, I, you know, look, the re only reason I'm against the death penalty is because we're not certain, like this case, right? If we were certain, it'd be a different question because I get emotional for the victims, okay? This isn't about emotion, it's about you knuckleheads. You might 
killed the wrong guy. I, can't, I keep saying it because I can't believe that they're not moved by that. It, they're not moved by it. It's almost as if they don't care. Even if they have evidence slapping them in the face saying, no, this is the wrong guy, they still don't care. They don't even want to retry this guy, which is amazing to me, okay? I, and I, I don't know what their reasoning is behind that. And if anything, this case is just one example, and, and it's a perfect example of why the death penalty just does not make sense. It doesn't make sense. There's human error that comes into play. There's bias that comes into play. There's an innocent man who's about to, or possibly innocent man, who is set to lose his life tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Here comes the story of Hurricane, the man the authorities came to play for something that he never done, put in a prison cell, but one time he could have been the champion of the Last night, Troy Davis was scheduled to be killed at 7 p.m. in Georgia. Uh, there was an attempt by his lawyers to get a stay of execution from the Supreme Court of the United States. They took a couple hours and then said, nah, just kill him. Uh, so he was killed by lethal injection. We had reports from uh, reporters who were there as, um, I guess, sort of pool reporters. He looked at the family of the uh, off-duty uh, police and uh, reiterated he had no uh, responsibility whatsoever for killing their father, husband, son, whatever the case was for those uh, family members. Uh, he said to those people who were involved in killing him, may God have mercy on your souls. And then he was injected with a drug that kills animals, that euthanizes, uh, euthanizes I get animals. And look, I, I don't know if uh, Troy Davis was guilty or not guilty. But it's quite clear that there was a lot of doubt as to his guilt. But for me, his uh, guilt, or lack thereof, was secondary. There's absolutely no data that supports that state, the state killing people in any way prevents other people from killing other people. It obviously costs states uh, a lot more money to sentence someone to death uh, because they're due, uh, due process. Um, Troy Davis was on death row for 20-some-odd years. 
It also, I think, uh, probably destroys the lives of those people who have to kill these people, for the most part. I think if you are anything but a psychopath, the idea that you can just go to work and, eh, we killed somebody today. Yeah, I was, I was in charge of injecting him. Uh, and that's not going to haunt you for the rest of your life, I think, is... Uh, I think you're deluding yourself, but it's it's the, it's quite the case that uh, a lot of these people who are involved in uh, killing other people, even uh, with the state sanction, um, suffer tremendously from it. And there are others who are psychopaths, who I'm sure, are just like, hey, let me do it. Uh, but society gets no benefit out of it. It is incredibly barbaric, and um, you know the only good thing that can come out of something like this is the the hope that uh, perhaps there's some impetus to deal with uh, with the barbarism that is involved in this. You know, there seemed to be uh, potentially a movement in this way back in 2000. Then, of course, 9-11 changed everything. We got, uh, as Americans, much more in tune with what was going around in the world. International news skyrocketed for us. Uh, irony was dead. We all became far more serious. There was no more playing games. We rallied around as a country. And, of course, um, the only uh, side effect was that we no longer paid attention to the, things like uh, the death penalty. Maybe, maybe now that we're out of the... Um, the shadow of uh, 9-11, maybe we can start uh, getting back to trying to uh, make our society more civilized. I doubt it. But understand that if you support the death penalty, you necessarily support the death of innocent people. There's just, I'm sorry, there's just, there's no way we can have the death penalty and convince ourselves that innocent people are not put to death by the state. Yeah, maybe we can cut down on the odds but if you support the death penalty, understand that inevitably and invariably innocent people will be killed. Or I should say not guilty people will be killed by your tax dollars. Any more so than you can say uh, we can have war without civilians dying. It's just they're part and parcel. They're wrapped up. That's the price you pay. So uh, that's the, uh, the death penalty. Bloodthirstiness seems to be taking over the country. We all heard the cries of let him die at the CNN Tea Party debate in reference to the hypothetical case of the 30-year-old man in a coma who chose not to pay for health insurance. And we all heard the eruption of applause at the previous Republican debate when Rick Perry bragged about carrying out 234 executions. And now Wednesday night, neither the Georgia Supreme Court nor the U.S. Supreme Court bothered to stay the execution of Troy Davis, even though there were huge doubts about his guilt and about whether he got a fair trial. 
He was convicted of murdering a police officer in 1989, but no weapon was ever found and there was no physical evidence against him, only the testimony of nine eyewitnesses, seven of whom recanted or changed their testimony, with many of them saying the police had leaned on them to finger Davis. Up until the moment he was executed, Davis steadfastly maintained his innocence. In his final statement, he told the police officer's family that he was sorry for their loss, but that he hadn't committed the crime, and he urged them to dig deeper into the case and discover the truth. Then he told those who were about to execute him, May God have mercy on your souls. Mercy, a thing that is in very short supply here in the U.S. in the year 2011. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. Dave Zirin, uh, I don't know, maybe do you both want to read it because so, it's kind of long? Uh, sure, I have to bring it back up. I saw this was really good. Well, You start and I'll... Okay, uh, so this is from our friend Dave Zirin, um, who you can follow on Twitter at Edge of Sports. He was the sports writer we had on. And he wrote a really great article called After Troy Davis's Death, Questions I Can't Unask. So uh, we'll read this and then we'll move on to other stuff because uh, we do need to move on, but at the same time we need to... Uh, use Troy Davis to uh, inspire us. And I think this article sums it up perfectly. So, number one, can Troy Davis, who fought to his last breath, actually be dead this morning? Number two, if we felt tortured with fear and hope for the four hours that the Supreme Court deliberated on Troy's case, how did the Davis's family feel? Number three, why does this hurt so much? Number four, does Judge Clarence Thomas, once an impoverished African-American son of Georgia, ever acknowledge in quiet moments that he could easily have been Troy Davis? Number five, what do people who insist we have to vote for Obama and support the Democrats because of the Supreme Court – Say this morning. That's a really important one that I'd want to get to uh, actually after. Oh, I just noticed it's misnumbered. It is. It's missing a number six. Uh, Number seven. Why does the right wing in this country distrust big government on everything except executing people of color and the poor? Number eight. Why were Democrats who spoke out for Troy the utter exception and not the rule? Number nine, why didn't the New York Times editorial page say anything until after Troy's parole was denied when their words wouldn't mean a damn? Number 10, why does this hurt so much? Am I reading the rest? Yeah, sure. Number 11, how can Barack Obama say that commenting on Troy's case is not appropriate, but it's somehow appropriate to bomb Libya and kill nameless innocents without the pretense of congressional approval? Number 12, what would he say if Malia asked him that question? Number 13, how can we have a black family in the White House and a legal lynching in Georgia? Number 14, why does this hurt so much? Number 15, can we acknowledge that in our name, this country has created hundreds of thousands of Troy Davises in the Middle East? 16, can we continue to coexist peacefully in a country that executes its own? 17, what the hell do I tell my seven-year-old daughter who has been marching to save Troy since she was in a stroller? 
And finally, 18, if some of Troy's last words were, this movement began before I was born, it must continue and grow stronger until, I think that's meant to say, we abolish the death penalty once and for all, then do we not have nothing less than a moral obligation to continue the fight? So here's what's funny. When you were rereading that sentence, I thought you were breaking down and crying. And I was like, oh, thank God we can cry. I, was, I just noticed a typo. I just noticed a typo, everybody. I, and now I have had to stop myself because I'm like, are we doing this? <laughs> um, so let's go back uh, before we move on because this is actually a political issue we can deal with. And uh, talk about number five, which is what do people who insist we have to vote for Obama and support the Democrats because of the Supreme Court say this morning? So why would he say that? Uh, Barack Obama appointed Sotomayor, who seemed, you know, fairly liberal. Uh, I don't think you and I have ever pronounced her name correctly. That's all right. Uh, Kagan, we had a bit of a problem with, but everyone kind of insisted that she would be fine. Um, and this is kind of a big argument with the Democrats. So, you know, you have Barack Obama, who has started another war, escalated wars, uh, forgotten about the deadlines of other wars, uh, whose civil liberties policy is worse than George Bush, who has authorized drone strikes that have killed civilians in Pakistan, uh, so on and so on and so on. But people say, right, but the big Democrat-Republican, the big argument against the third party is the Supreme Court, right? The president puts in judge of the Supreme Court. If you're on the Supreme Court, that is a lifetime uh, appointment. Everyone on the Supreme Court, for the most part, or I would say half of them, fucking old, and they're going to die soon, right? Um, I'm blaming Sam Cedar for not being able to sway Kennedy. Mm-hmm. He is Who like clearly he's like the, the Pied Piper of old people. Um, so. So this is so. What we didn't get a chance to report on be, uh, was that not only this did the Supreme Court uh, refuse a stay. This is what surprised me. I assumed it was Clarence Thomas, just like kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him, dun 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 dun, and like fucking Scalia, like sneaking in to watch. You know what I mean? I just assumed it was them. Sure. Uh, Crazy and crazier. Right. Nobody had a dissent. Not Ginsburg, who's against the death penalty. Nobody. And I don't know if there's just like... What they probably... How they probably sleep at night is they said it was up to the state. Right. That they at a federal level shouldn't meddle in the state's affairs. Shouldn't shouldn't meddle in... I mean, Jesus Christ, man. That's like you have the chance to save a life. Like you're witnessing someone being assaulted or someone being raped, and you're like, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to meddle in the rapist's affair. You know what's weird about this? So, you probably pictured them all in a room together. Jamie, he's, would you? I'm trying to make a serious point here. Yeah, sorry. You put the microphone up to the cat. Only uh, he's never done it. They always meow, and I think I'm gonna get him. My VP candidates. Okay, so let me make this point. Uh, you probably pictured them all in a room together. You know, shirt sleeves rolled up deliberating passionately into the night turns out they weren't even in the same room together they were in different rooms and they were like maybe they're contacting each other maybe they're talking they're fucking like texting each other or email like i don't know if that they might not have actually been communicating are the with deliberation each other. papers just sad face emoticons like apparently they come up with their own opinion and then collect it together and then see what i don't know but uh 
And then Jeffrey Tubin, who's like sort of the expert on the Supreme Court, and he writes all the books about them and whatnot, said that this was by far the longest, one of the longest deliberations in a case like this. Um, so it would be interesting to know what the fuck they were thinking. Yeah. If anything. I mean, Clarence Thomas might have just been watching the box set of 24. Questions running through my brain. All the answers feel so fake. And that doubles all my pain. I'm surrounded by this Think about what used to be. I'm not doing all that well. Facing me, death penalty. Kept my arms, see blood pumping through my veins. No, I don't wanna die. I wish that I was born again. In the mirror, I see eyes sad, but also sober lies. I'm sorry, cause it's mine. Facing me, that's Troy Davis, movement lessons. The state judicial murder of Troy Davis of Georgia showed both the limits and the successes of the anti death penalty movement. It seems silly to speak of successes when a man is poisoned to death by judicial decree, but though they were partial, they were successes nonetheless. To attain the support of people like former U.S. President Jimmy Carter, Pope Benedict XVI, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and former FBI Director William Sessions was no small feat. It showed the reach of the movement to procure such support. The movement was also fueled by such revelations as shown by the recantations of people like Antoine Williams, who was one of the state's witnesses. Williams later stated, quote, After the officers talked to me, they gave me a statement and told me to sign it. I signed it. I did not read it because I cannot read. I felt pressured to point at him, unquote. Was there police coercion in Davis's case? The DA certainly thought so, and was quoted as saying, Oh, well, they were probably coerced by the defense, too, so that balances it out, and we should still kill them. Think about that. What power of coercion does the defense possess? Handcuffs? Threats? Jail cells? Criminal charges? Death sentences? That any prosecutor can say something so dopey is, well, nuts. The Troy Davis movement amassed almost a million signatures on petitions. Remarkable. But signatures on paper or online aren't people in the streets. If a million people were on the march, maybe, maybe he would be alive. Maybe. The limits of the law, blockades imposed in part, ironically, by a former constitutional professor who came to be seen as the first black president, I speak here of Bill Clinton, also denied Troy Davis true redress. Troy Davis's family and supporters brought much to the anti-death penalty movement. I hope they're not too disheartened to continue the struggle. Such struggle will ensure that Troy Davis will not be forgotten. From death row, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. They can't hurt me anymore. Cause I go no beyond 
I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as five dollars a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Barry Schecht is with us. Uh, Barry Sheck, excuse me. He's the attorney, the co-founder and director of the Innocence Project, a professor at the Benjamin N. Cardozo School of Law in New York City. Innocenceproject.org is the website. Barry, welcome to the program. Great to be with you. Thank you. Um, last night on several different television networks, I saw you get uh, basically cut off or stepped on whenever you tried to talk about Innocence Project revelations that reflected poorly on the Bush administration or President Bush specifically or on any administration frankly it seems like and I'm you know I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and assume it was just time we for example you and I we have right now a, a little about five minutes and then the machine starts and it just cuts us off um, but I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell some of those stories in the wake of the Trey da Troy Davis execution so people can get it um, how screwed up our criminal justice system is in this country. Sure. Thank you for the opportunity, Tom. And it really was just uh, <clears throat> hard breaks, as they call it, in the television business. Yeah. Uh, uh, two stories that people should know about. Uh, the first is Cameron Todd Willingham. Cameron Todd Willingham was executed by Governor Perry in 2004. Just before the execution, uh, an expert's report from a leading analyst of arson named Dr. Gerald Hurst was given to Governor Perry uh, indicating that the arson evidence that was used to convict Willingham of burning down his home and killing his uh, children uh, was totally unreliable, had been outdated more than 10 years ago. Uh, and Governor Perry got this, and the evidence uh, indicates that he never asked any other expert uh, was there anything to this? What does this mean? Uh, counsel from his office was specifically directed to this. Uh, it appears that he probably couldn't have read it for anything more than 15 minutes uh, or so. The, it's indicated on these fax machines. Uh, uh, Willingham was executed. Uh, it, this it was then reviewed by a forensic science commission in Texas. A complaint was uh, put forward by the Innocence Project, supported by five independent arson experts, that said the uh, evidence in the Willingham case was complete junk, essentially. Uh, the Forensic Science Commission in Texas hired its own independent expert. They, too, reached the same conclusion. Just prior to that expert testifying in front of the commission, Governor Perry decided to remove, in what we like to call the Saturday Night Massacre, uh, Three of the commissioners said that the hearing couldn't go forward and replaced it uh, with his own hand-picked successor, a uh, prosecutor who, uh, by all accounts, tried to scuttle this investigation. In the final analysis, the commission ultimately did issue a report, uh, despite the efforts of uh, 
uh, Perry's handpicked guy, John Bradley, that said that the arson evidence in that case uh, was completely unreliable. In other words, Rick, Rick Perry killed an innocent man. Yeah, I, I believe that there's very powerful evidence indicating it, but more importantly, he tried to scuttle an investigation. He tried to cover it up. investigation that uh, uh, demonstrated that. Right. Uh, there was also a jailhouse snitch in that case, by the way, mm. and uh, new investigation by the Innocence Project and other lawyers representing the Willingham family have demonstrated that that jailhouse snitch, whose testimony was incredible in the first instance, uh, also uh, testified that he was not given any promises, and we discovered that in the district attorney's file was a motion by this uh, jailhouse snitch when he was rearrested asking for specific performance of the promises made in the Willingham case, along with a handwritten recantation. Wow. Uh, so he was basically he was basically he basically lied and was paid not in money but uh, you know in promises. Now that's the Willingham case. We're down to about a minute and a half. Barry, I'm sorry, right. we got you on late. Um, uh, yeah, in fact, we have we have sixty seconds. Uh, the Bush case. Yes, in December seventh, two thousand, the last guy George Bush executed was a man named Claude Jones. The only evidence in that case that supported accomplice testimony and was the basis for a three-to-two decision of the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals sustaining the commission was a hair, microscope analysis of a hair that was attributed to Jones. Uh, a few months ago, we finally succeeded in getting mitochondrial DNA testing of the hair. It shows it didn't come from Jones, which means that that conviction uh, is legally a non-entity. It could never stand. So, so in other words, George Bush killed an innocent man, too. Well, I don't know if he was innocent, but he certainly was convicted on evidence that was insufficient. Um, and uh, the biggest problem with that case is to uh, his credit, Bush had always granted stays of execution for DNA testing. But in this case, his lawyers never even told him that uh, Jones's lawyers were seeking a DNA test. Otherwise, he would have granted that stay. So Amazing. that just shows you how reliable these systems are. Amazing. Okay, you can read all about it over at innocenceproject.org. Barry Shack, thank you, Barry. There ain't no reason things are this way. It's how they always been and they intend to stay. I can't explain why we live this way. We do it every day. Breezes on the podium speaking of saints. Prophets on the sidewalk begging for change. Old ladies laughing from the fire escape. Cursing my name I got a basket full of lemons And they all taste the same A window in a pigeon with a broken wing You can spend your whole life Working for something Just to have it taken away People walk around Pushing back their desks Wearing paychecks like necklaces And bracelets Talking about nothing Not thinking about death Every little heartbeat Every little breath we had the Troy Davis execution last week. Uh, it looked like there was the possibility of being spared at least temporarily. Now, the Tro Troy Davis case was a controversial cop killer case where there were a number of witnesses claiming at the time of the trial to have seen the murder go down, to have uh, personal knowledge of exactly what happened. However, seven of those nine key witnesses recanted their testimony no murder weapon had ever been recovered. Witnesses claimed that they were coerced by the police. Police and investigators, of course, deny all of this, but there were definite questions about the reality. It looked like maybe Troy Davis was going to be spared. It did not happen. He was executed last week. 
Now, actually, uh, this is kind of interesting. I, I mean, I, I know there were a lot of protests um, across the country. Yeah. But I was driving through Amherst, and there was a huge protest right Amherst, in the Massachusetts. Square. Yeah. Uh, let me fill in the blanks here right. for Lewis. Amherst, Massachusetts. I think most of our listeners know we're in Massachusetts. But, uh, right, Amherst, Massachusetts. And what seemed to be, of course, there's a lot of colleges in the area. I assume these were either UMass students or Amherst College students. A very large group of them, all with signs, chanting, yelling, screaming stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was uh, quite a sight. And to no avail. Um, and, and so now we certainly there is doubt amongst many as to Troy Davis's actual responsibility for that murder. Now, simultaneously, another alleged killer was spared from his execution just hours before he was set to be executed. The parole board in Georgia spared a convicted killer from execution. Uh, he was going to die by lethal injection on Thursday, and they commuted his sentence to life in prison. This was the Georgia Board of Pardons and Paroles, and they made the decision with less than three hours to spare before 47-year-old Samuel David Crow was to be executed. Crow was not present at the parole hearing. He had already eaten his last meal, and he was about to go into the execution chamber. And uh, the story is in March of 1988, he killed a store manager, Joseph Pala, during a robbery at a lumber company in Douglas County, west of Atlanta. Crow had uh, previously worked at the store. He shot Pala three times with a pistol, beat him with a crowbar and a pot of paint. He pled guilty to armed robbery and to murder, and he was sentenced to death the following year. His lawyers presented evidence attesting to his remorse, okay, so in other words, he was sorry he did it, and to his good behavior in jail, according to local media reports. The lawyers also said at the time of the crime, he was suffering from withdrawal symptoms from a cocaine addiction, okay? So let's just look at this. And uh, by the way, I, I'm going to, let me issue a disclaimer. I'm going to mention this. I'm not saying that this was related to how this went down and why things went down the way they did, but if I don't mention it, people will email me saying it's, a, it's relevant. Troy Davis was black, and Crow is white. Okay, I'm just putting it out there. I'm not even speculating right now about whether it's a factor or not in what happened here. Let's think about this. One guy, seven of the nine witnesses who claimed that they saw him commit a murder, say actually after the fact they didn't see that. Um, there's questions, there, there, there's a specific other person who at least some are blaming for the murder. There is no murder weapon recovered. Davis maintained his innocence and Davis until maintains his innocence. the second he died. Right. No, no clemency, nothing. On the other hand, we have a guy who admitted that he did it and he is exculpated to, well, to a life sentence because he has been behaving well and he has admitted that he feels sorry for what he did. He admits remorse and also, hey, he was, he was coked up at the time. We can't kill the guy. He was coked up. What's going on here? Something about this doesn't fit to me. What do you think about this, Natan? Uh, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I can't say for certain I what mean, happened here. But what I do, but what is clear to your point about whether race is a factor, race is a factor, maybe not in these specific cases, but in, you know, many other cases. Sure. I mean, this just seems to me like something that almost never happens. I've never heard of this happening. I've never heard of someone who's about to die just getting let off the hook for seemingly no reason. Well, it does happen. And here are the reasons that they gave. Based on all this, 
I am, I am against the death penalty. Or you're against the death penalty, Lewis. Right. What is your main reason? What's the most compelling ar argument you can think of for you to be against the death penalty? I don't really see much of a difference between life in prison and the death penalty. And I think death, if, if death is the ultimate punishment, and in a lot of cases you can't know 100% if these people are guilty, then life in prison should be good enough. Well, for me, it's every argument, every aspect. Uh, I mean, number one, time after time, we see that the death penalty is not a deterrent to crime being committed. Okay, so that's not, that's not a factor. The death penalty is irreversible. Life in prison, people do get out sometimes. Right, sometimes, I mean, if evidence comes up. If we're going to make the financially conservative argument, it's more costly than incarceration. A, an execution is more costly than a life incarceration. Is it? Yeah. And it's a little bit outdated. I mean, really, every other country at the level of development the U.S. is it at is no longer archaic. has the death penalty. Yeah. By the way, they also have a different health care system, which also makes sense. It's a little bit confusing that uh, being so advanced, the U.S. seems to be very behind both in, in health care systems as well as in the death penalty. Uh, and, you know, I really don't think that if someone commits a murder, that then it is made equal, the victims are made whole, the situation is made zero-sum, so to speak, by the state putting someone to death, by the state killing someone, being in the business of killing people. For me, there's no aspect of the death penalty that makes sense at this point, 2011, uh, at this point in time. Torture doesn't work. To start with, physical torture doesn't work. The Israelis don't torture, and they are facing acts of terror uh, every day. And uh, again, and you what know it is... doesn't work from your own experience. Oh, because I think, when you yeah, not only my own experience, but I mean, most experts will tell you that when enough physical pain is inflicted on someone, they'll tell you anything they think that that you want to know. But I'm very worried about the image of the United States of America engaging in this kind of activity. It's not. I I hold no brief for the terrorists. They are the quintessence of evil. I hope they never get out of prison. The evil ones. But it's not about them, it's about us. It's not about them, it's about us. Senator John McCain, who survived torture personally in Vietnam, speaking back in 2005 about his belief that it does not really matter why you want to torture someone or whether it works in some way to torture someone. Senator McCain consistently over the years making the most robust moral argument against torture, which is that there's nothing about the person being tortured that tells you whether or not torturing them is the right thing to do. His point is that we as Americans should not, as Americans, be doing torture to anyone. And that's because of who we are, not who they are. Vice President Dick Cheney, of course, argued the opposite. Vice President Cheney argued and continues to argue that torture is justified, that it shouldn't even be called torture because of who the United States did it to. You've heard endlessly about waterboarding. It happened to three terrorists. To call this a program of torture is to libel the dedicated professionals who have saved American lives. 
than to cast terrorists and murderers as innocent victims. Is it not torture if it is done to bad people or if it is useful in some way? There's now a new national debate about the death penalty after a prisoner named Troy Davis was put to death by the state of Georgia last night, more than four hours after his scheduled time of death on the fourth day that had been set as his execution date. The consternation and controversy over Troy Davis's execution centered on doubts of his guilt. Seven of the nine witnesses whose testimony was used to convict him have reportedly recanted. Three of the jurors who convicted him say now that they would not have voted to convict if they'd known then what they know now about the case. When Troy Davis's execution was delayed last night at 7 p.m. Eastern in Georgia, the state of Texas at the exact same time went ahead with killing a prisoner named Lawrence Brewer. They killed Lawrence Brewer for the racist hate crime murder of James Byrd in Texas in 1998. There was no question as to Lawrence Brewer's guilt. Tonight, the state of Alabama killed a prisoner named Derek Mason for a murder in 1994. The judge who sentenced Derek Mason to die lobbied against the execution. The judge saying that he actually ruled incorrectly in the case and Mr. Mason should not be killed by the state. But although there is that controversy over Mr. Mason's sentence, there is no basic question about Derek Mason's guilt. Today, the state of Georgia, about half a day after they killed Troy Davis, set their next execution date on October 5th for Marcus Ray Johnson for a murder he committed in 1994. Marcus Ray Johnson contends that he had bad legal representation in the trial that got him the death penalty. But here, again, there is no basic question about his guilt. Is the justice of the death penalty fundamentally about the goodness or badness of the person who is to be killed? Is it about their guilt or innocence? Or... Is it an intrinsic question about whether or not the governments that we build for ourselves are governments that should kill prisoners? To the extent that killing prisoners is one of the jobs we ask of state government employees, it's not an abstract thing. It is a physical job to be done, and it is a job that requires tools. Georgia used a relatively new set of tools to kill Troy Davis last night. The state had its supply of sodium pentothal seized by the federal government earlier this year under suspicion that the state had imported it illegally from a fly-by-night drug distributor based out of the back of a driving school in West London. So instead of sodium pentothal, which the state used for decades to kill its prisoners, Georgia has recently been using a drug with the trade name Nembutal to kill its prisoners instead, including Troy Davis last night. Nembutal is a drug that veterinarians use to put down household pets. The Danish company called Lundbeck that makes Nembutal argues that it should not be used in executions of humans. The U.S. company that makes sodium pentothal contacted us here at MSNBC today, wanting us to let you know that even though they do not make their drug that was used to kill prisoners anymore, they also did not want their drug used in executions. And year after year, the company says it wrote to state departments of correction telling them to stop using sodium pentothal to kill people. It is understandable that a big company really does not want to be associated with planned killings in prisons. But we all are. We all pay the salaries of the people who do this work in our name. Joining us now for the interview tonight is Dr. Alan Alt, the former warden from the Georgia prison where Troy Davis was executed last night. He also served as commissioner of corrections for three states. He's currently the dean of the College of Justice and Safety at Eastern Kentucky University. Dr. Alt was one of six retired wardens who wrote to corrections officials and the governor of Georgia yesterday urging them to reconsider their decision to deny Troy Davis clemency and to consider the effect on corrections staff who would be carrying this execution out. Dr. Alt, uh, thank you for joining us in our coverage late last night, and thank you for coming back tonight. I really appreciate it, sir. Yes, ma'am.
As a, as a warden and later as uh, Commissioner Corrections in Georgia, you participated in several executions early in your career. Uh, you told us last night that, that you view executions as a form of premeditated, uh, premeditated killing, premeditated murder. What made you think about it that way? Well, it's uh, the policy book um, for executions, probably about an inch and a half thick. Uh, it is well scripted. Um, there's a lot of rehearsals. Uh, I don't know of any other type of murder that is that premeditated and um, or even scripted. So it, it's everybody involved knows exactly what they're to do and and exactly what's going to happen and how that individual's going to be killed. In this letter that, that you and a number of other retired corrections officials sent out yesterday, you wrote about what you described as awful lifelong repercussions that come from participating in the execution of prisoners. I know we discussed this um, late last night, but I'm wondering if you could tell our viewers now, if you could describe what participating in the execu in executions as a process um, is like for prison staff. Well, I, th I'm, I assume that it's different for different people, but certainly I can speak from my experience uh, and, and other individuals who have talked to me, uh, people who have a conscience, and um, you're killing somebody, and there's no denying that. And um, especially when we know that several people have been declared innocent with the new scientific techniques, and we're not real sure if the individual we're executing this evening or next week is really guilty. And that in itself, that kind of doubt. The other thing, most of us know all the research which indicates that capital punishment does not detour. And it seems so illogical to say to the public, we do not want you to kill, and to demonstrate that, we're going to kill individuals. The man who was killed last night in Texas, in the same hour that Troy Davis had been assigned to be killed initially, uh, the son of the man um, who that prisoner murdered, James Byrd's son, had said that he did not want the death penalty carried out against his father's murderer. Uh, last night, Troy Davis's um, alleged victim's family said they did want him executed uh, for the death of Officer Mark McPhail in Georgia. Do the wishes of victims' families, I guess, inflect in any way your feeling about having participated in executions or, or generally the way that staff do this, the way they feel about it, do you think? No, I, I think the victims' feelings uh, should be taken into account. And in every execution that I attended, I spent time with the victim's family. We didn't allow them to go to the execution, but they usually were in the prison, and we had them uh, separated from the witnesses. And I spent time with them, and the chaplain spent time with them. And I talked to them after the execution, and sometimes several weeks after the execution also. And most of the victims' families that I talked with they thought they were going to get a lot of relief or closure from the execution. And in most cases, they did not. 
Dr. Alan Alt, former warden from the Georgia prison where Troy Davis was executed last night, former state commissioner of corrections uh, in Georgia and in Colorado and Mississippi. Um, sir, I, I feel like your perspective on this um, is not only invaluable to us in terms of covering this, but your decision to write to corrections officials last night and put this into words before that execution um, was a real act of bravery and made some very, very powerful arguments. So thank you for doing that, sir, and thanks for talking with us. The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. Sadly and tragically, I'm sure you heard, uh, Troy Davis was, in fact, executed last night in Georgia. Um, it's, it's horrible news, uh, despite, uh, you know, efforts of a, tons of anti-death penalty groups It happened. Um, we murdered an innocent man last night. And uh, we're going to talk uh, more about the death penalty later on in the show with, with, with my friend Lee Camp. Uh, but before we move on, I actually wanted to talk about this, this statistic that I saw yesterday. Um, of all the countries in the world, the United States of America executed the fifth most people in 2010. And I'm going to run down. I'm going to run down the, the countries that executed more than us. Uh, the number one country that executed the most people was China. Uh, number two, number two was uh, Iran. Number three was North Korea. Number four was Yemen. And number five was us. Uh, six was, was Saudi Arabia. So uh, when you think of, 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 of justice and, and freedom and, 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 and just the, the whole entire system of justice, that's not the best company to keep, is it, huh? I mean, you know, I mean, Iran and North Korea, I mean, they're, they're supposedly part of the axis of evil, right? And if, and if we're just one slot away from them, what the hell does that make us, really? And, 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 you know, you know, uh, you can't deny it. Last night, an innocent man was, was, was murdered last night by our government. Um, and he, he, he's not the first to be murdered by our government. And he's not, he's not going to be the last, sadly. And I I want to, if you, if you support the death penalty, or if you know someone who does, I mean, uh, if you know someone who does, or if you do, I want you to ask yourself or ask them a very, very simple question. And it's it's not it's you know a lot of people will say stuff like well what if it was your your family member who was murdered but but the question I have to the the, the only response I have to that you know is 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 to ask how many innocent people being executed are you okay with seriously how many uh, you know are you fine with one innocent person being killed by our government are you fine with with ten with a hundred, two hundred, five hundred. Seriously, how many people? I want, I want an actual number. I want an answer. Is, is that innocent person's life that was, that was killed by our government, by a state, 
Is that innocent person's life worth putting to, putting to death a, a guilty person? And if your answer if your answer is yes, if your answer is yes, that it's fine that some innocent p- people are murdered by the state to exact revenge on some of the guilty, then seriously, I want a number. How many innocent people killed by the government is okay with you? Give me a actual number. Hi, Jay. This is Wes calling from North Dakota. And uh, the reason why I'm calling is because I am totally, totally outraged about what happened in Georgia with Troy Davis. And I don't realize and I cannot... I, I just don't understand why and how we could be one of the greatest countries in the world. We can have one of the greatest constitutions in the world and we can still execute people like third-world countries. It is outrageous. I immigrated to the United States from Bulgaria, and if I didn't have my family here, I have a wife and a child, and if I didn't have my job, I would really totally be reconsidering going back there because I just my mind can't comprehend that. How come in 21st century, we execute people. I know that people like Bill O'Reilly and other right-wing knuckleheads would be saying something like, justice was served, but justice was not served. And whether or not Troy Davis was innocent or guilty, it is unacceptable for the United States in the 21st century to be executing people. I am outraged. I think personally the death penalty is a big joke. I don't know. I, I, again, I'm outraged and I can't really find words to say how upset I am that this is happening to the United States of America. I hope to do a show about the death penalty because, you know, people need to understand. People need to understand how crucial it is and how bad of an image it gives the United States of America, the greatest country in the, in the world. And you're doing a good job. I love the show. Keep spreading the word. This is Bass again from North Dakota. Have a good day. Hi, Jay. This is Bess again from North Dakota. And I know I called already and I left a comment about Troy Davis. But I would like to really quick comment on some feedback from those know-nothing right-wing morons who are leaving who are tweeting things like Ann Coulter does about justice being served and for us people who actually defended the human dignity of Troy Davis, defended life, she calls us cop killer lovers and I've called before and I myself am a cop and I find this totally insulting and I find it insulting to every single police officer who is out there but anyway what I would like to say is that right now this country is a, on the verge of a social suicide or maybe on a social homicide or maybe to be more right 
is we're on a social execution for our morals and for our founding principles. This country was great once, and this country was great because it was built on principles that every single person's life and dignity was protected. But that's not the case anymore. Right now what's happening, and I apologize for my language, but those right-wing fucking morons are on the verge of making this country into a Christian version of Iran. How is that acceptable? We are becoming one big nothing, and we were great ones. And that is so sad. We're going back. Countries are going ahead. Countries are going to the to what we were based on, what we were found on. They're going toward those principles. And we're becoming, I don't know, very, very upset about all those comments. As I said, I personally am a cop. And you know what? If somebody does end up killing me, which I really hope it doesn't happen, if, if that ever happens, I would much rather have that person suffer the rest of their life in prison and not get the easy way out and be killed. And besides, who are we to kill? I thought that all those right-wing morons are Christians and defended the teachings of Jesus Christ. Well, go ahead and defend the teachings of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ never said going to kill somebody just because you think they killed somebody else. It's, it's, it's ridiculous, Jay. I'm sorry about my language on this phone call, and I, I just wanted to leave my comments. Great job, man. You really need to have a show about Troy Davis and about this ludicrous execution. Thank you very much, and have a great day. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action or self to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So just an update from a few days ago, I, I put out the question in regards to a clip you just heard on today's show that uh, Mumio Bujamal obviously had a, a comment for, for today's episode. And I put out the question, you know, there's been controversy about him, whether or not it's appropriate to have him on this show. That has been uh, discussed to death already, and, and that argument is put to bed. But my question was, given this subject matter, if you are opposed to him being used in general, do you think that uh, uh, dealing with the topic of the death penalty itself is, you know, a relevant uh, relevant time to make an exception where you either either could and or should make an ex- exception to hear from him on the subject? And I heard from a couple of people who just sounded like supporters of, uh, you know, free speech for everyone and, you know, let, let everyone be heard. But I didn't hear from anyone yet saying, I don't think that he should be played on the show and here's my specific opinion about whether or not he should be played on a show about the death penalty, whether they say, and regardless of the topic, it still doesn't matter and he shouldn't be played, or yes, an exception should be, should be made. So who knows? No, uh, no update on that. that. Well, yeah, so the update on that is that there's no update yet. Secondly, I, I wanted to say about this topic that uh, something similar I've said on another topic, I, I've said before that uh, gay marriage and gay rights in general are, you know, one of my favorite topics because it's so easy. You know, it's not it's not nuanced. It's not 
uh, you know, you really have to weigh both sides and see who's right or, you know, we have to depend on the professionals and, and hope that the information we're getting is correct. And, you know, like on, on a topic like economics or something like that where it's way more confusing. No, like it's just really, really simple. Hey, everyone should be treated the same. Okay, done. That was easy. And, and the death penalty ranks right up there with it. It's another one that is just so blindingly easy that, uh, that it's just fun. It's, uh, I mean, it's a horrible, <laughs> God, that was awful. It was a horrible, horrible topic, which is not fun at all, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's fun in how easy it is to be right. Uh, put it that way. Jesus. So that being said, uh, I will say something else that I've probably said before because I'm kind of running out of unique things to say. Uh, my theory on why people hold the opinions they do is that they come to them in uh, relatively unthoughtful ways. People usually adopt either the policies of their parents or, uh, or, or whatever the status quo policies are in their uh, country or state or city or wherever they are. And so, you know, I remember when I was a freshman in high school, I had a teacher ask the class uh, who supported the death penalty. And it was at least 90% of the people put their hands up, myself included, because I'd never thought about it. And I just thought, well, we have the death penalty. That's, uh, that's what this country does. And I don't have a particularly uh, poor opinion of this country. So they're probably doing the right thing. And so, yeah, let's support the thing they're doing because it's probably right. I bet I bet some really smart, thoughtful people came to the conclusion that we should have this policy in place. And then you can kind of uh, – you can release yourself from the duty of you know having to think for it yourself. Now, of course, my, my excuse was that I was 15 years old and what the hell did I know about anything? And I didn't have a strong opinion about it. I just thought, yeah, I don't know, probably. So, uh, you know, I, I think I think that people come to their conclusions on different policies in that way a lot of the time. You know, they're against drugs because it's the policy of the country to be against drugs and same with death penalty and, and a whole slew of other things. So as I was making today's show, I knew – I was like, man, this is a good show. I'm feeling really good about this. This is powerful stuff. I'm feeling good about it. I know that people are going to like it. Um, you, you know, it's it's evocative and powerful and all those sorts of things. But but what I had in the back of my mind was, I know, just statistically speaking, I'm convinced that at least one person is going to hear this show who was in favor of the death penalty when they started, who will have changed their mind by the end. And I don't know if I'll ever hear from that person. And maybe. That's not even going to turn out to be true, but it seems incredibly likely that it's true because someone can come to this topic uh, having not put much thought into it and think that they're in favor of it, and when faced with reality and facts and really, really logical arguments, it's an unimaginable position for me to continue to support the death penalty after having heard this show. So on top of you know how proud I was of the particular episode because of you know how how good I thought it was, uh, you know on top of that, more more than most episodes or maybe any episodes I produce, I'm so convinced that this can actually have a concrete impact on on someone and actually change a mind or two. So hopefully that is true. 
that's going to be it for today. I'm going to thank a couple of members before I go. Margaret C. signed up for a Lefts membership on May 20th and uh, paid for a full year in advance, so huge thanks uh, for doing that. And same to Jerry R., who also signed up for a membership paying a full year in advance starting on June 4th, but went a little bit above and beyond, signed up for a socialist uh, membership uh, to help out the show even more. So huge thanks to Jerry and Margaret and all the members and donors who make the show possible. I couldn't do it without you guys. Everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by, most importantly, spreading the links to individual clips through your social networks. Uh, the way to do that is incredibly simple. Just go to the website and check out the show notes where you'll find all the buttons to pick out your favorite clips and share them with uh, everyone you know. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black, black, black and white apart a picture that wasn't right Bitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who'll take you out in the open door This is not my life It's just a fun thing